0: Hello, welcome to Stories Podcast. I'm today's host, Kelsey Lee. This week, we are presenting part one of Amazing Grace, Machine of Government, an original work by Daniel Hines. Today, we'd like to say a special thank you to Miles and Owen and their family, Kieran, Gabrielle, Ariel, and Josiah and their family, Sugar Bean and their family, and Milo and Chet and their family, Thank you for helping to support our show, Chet, Milo, Sugarbean, Josiah, Ariel, Gabrielle, Kieran, Owen, and Miles. You are part of what makes it possible for us to continue to produce fun new stories for our listeners.
1: Stories podcast is brought to you by Chase. All my real estate friends say the same thing. The last few years have been a seller's market. So how does someone like me looking to buy their first home stand out and get taken seriously? Chase's closing guarantee is one way to give you the edge you need. As a Chase customer, you're guaranteed to close quickly or you get $1,000. So you can show homeowners you're serious about buying without the personal letter or gift basket or skywriting it over their house. Get in your first home even faster with Chase. Learn more at chase.com stories. Chase, make more of what's yours. All home lending products are subject to credit and property approval. Rates, program terms, and conditions are subject to change without notice. Not all products are available in all states or for all amounts. Other restrictions and limitations apply. Home lending products offered by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., an equal housing lender. Summer is finally here. It's time for beach days and barbecues, family vacations, and quality time with the ones you love. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend a whole day getting my hair colored at the salon when I could be outside playing frisbee with my dog, but I also don't want to take a chance on a box kit from the drugstore. Now there's another option, Madison Reed! It took a strong woman to shake up the hair coloring world, and Amy Arrett did just that with Madison Reed, the company she named after her daughter. Madison Reed offers gorgeous, professional hair color delivered to your door for less than $25. What makes their color unique is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm to create over 45 gorgeous, multi-tonal shades. Clients agree. With Madison Reed, you get gorgeous, shiny, multi-dimensional, healthy-looking, fresh-from-the-salon hair. But you can do it yourself at home. Get an expert color consultation or take the color quiz at madison-reed.com. And right now, Stories podcast listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code STORIES. That's code STORIES for 10% off your first color kit plus free shipping.
0: Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Amazing Grace, Machine of Government. In the black depths of space, where starships travel faster than the law, there is a new and wild frontier. Colonists settle strange planets— Pirates smuggle exotic goods, and bold heroes eke out livings with the sweat of their brows and the triggers of their blasters. In this brave new world, there is one girl dedicated to protecting the defenseless creatures of the universe. She is Amazing Grace, Princess of Space, the best of the Eco-Rangers. There's the acrid smell of solder. Curling tendrils of smoke wisp up in mystical patterns and hang in the air. Grace pauses her work to reach up and slap a button in the walled ceiling. There's a kachunk deep in the ship, and then the exhaust fan kicks on, sucking the smoke up and out of the room. It's hour three of the operation. "'You hanging in there, Chips?' Grace asks her robotic companion, leaning back over the robot's exposed circuitry. She has a red-hot soldering iron in one hand, and a flat component bristling with wires in the other. "'As good as can be expected for someone undergoing brain surgery,' Chips replies." He's lying face down on a table in the Walden's small med bay, the rear panel of his positronic brain on a metal tray next to him. It's hardly surgery. Don't be a baby. You can't even feel pain. You meatbags always talk about pain like you're proud of it. I can feel you futzing with my delicate circuitry. The sole purpose of pain is to let you know something is wrong with your body, so in a way, this is very painful. And in another way, you're being a drama queen. You do remember this vocal chip update was your idea. I remember everything. Exactly. Now hush, we're almost done. Grace places the new component in Chip's head and solders the leads in place. With a grunt of satisfaction, she replaces the rear panel and seals the magna lock. All set. Your organic vocals are good to go. You have over 10,000 voices to pick from now. Chip sits up on the table, heavy three-fingered hand knocking against the dracoderm alloy of his body. "'Howdy, partner. Butter my biscuits. But it was real kind of you to patch me up. Y'all a real straight shooter, you heard?' Grace laughs and rolls her eyes. "'All those choices and you go straight to the Old West? I don't know if I can handle that.' "'Hm. I suppose you would prefer the nasal droning of an aristocrat. Do be a dear and fetch the tea, old chap. That's a little better, but it still doesn't quite fit.' "'You don't quite fit, puny human.' I will use my crushing muscles to give you a noogie until you love my voice. Bird bird That's the business line. Go, you must answer it. Grace hustles through the ship and into the cockpit. Through the viewport, there's nothing but the star swirled mosaic of space. She swings into her captain's chair and punches the flashing communications panel. Grace Green, Eco Ranger Come to Lotaka, the fifth moon of Takado in the Wahi system. What? Who is this? Not secure. Come to the fifth moon, sending encrypted coordinates to you now. Encrypted? Not secure. What's going on? The decryption key carries the sky on his back. The sky? Lotaka, fifth moon of Dekato. The line goes dead. Descriptive, fella, isn't he? Said Chips, trying yet another new voice. Grace grunts. Well, he's got my attention, if nothing else. Get that encrypted file on screen for me. The robot takes the co-pilot's chair his mechanical hands moving over the controls with a frenzied click-clack speed that no human could hope to match. Ready to go, but we still need the decryption key to unlock the message. He said it carries the sky on his back. What could that mean? Maybe Atlas or Earth? Try bluebird, bing, we're in. How in the world did you know that? It's an old Thoreau quote. The bluebird carries the sky on his back. Where do the coordinates point to? To be honest, nowhere really. The fifth moon of Takato is barely populated as it is, and these directions are basically the middle of nowhere. Grace leans back in her captain's chair, tapping a finger against her chin. Could be a trap. Could be. Could be someone who needs us. Could be an ice cream sundae, but I don't buy it. Grace grabs the safety webbing and straps herself in, grinning wolfishly at Chips. We're going, aren't we? Yep, but I'll tell you what. If it is a trap, I'll buy you a sundae when we get out of it. Robots can't eat Sundays. Well, you can watch me eat it, then. Now come on, punch it, Chips! The stars stretch and blur as space folds itself around the Walden, allowing the little ship to travel light years in mere hours. Grace uses the time to prep her gear. She has the dull silver Dracoderm spacesuit, the sleek helmet with the wide visor that unfolds automatically from the suit's collar, her trusty stun blaster, and the standard Eco Ranger utility belt. Realizing she looks a little intimidating, she throws on her faded Eco-Ranger hoodie. It's stained with the blood and dirt of a hundred rescued creatures from a hundred grateful worlds, but it has the official Eco-Ranger badge on it, and it's a friendlier sight than the blaster-scarred Dracoderm. Dropping out of warp, says Chips over the comms. Grace floats back into the cockpit and takes her seat, strapping in. All set! They drop out of warp speed with a lurch that makes Grace's belly flip. The viewport snaps back to normal and she draws a hissing breath through her teeth. Wow! Before them is Lotaka, the fifth moon of Takado, a ball of blue and green shining brilliantly in the light of the Wahi system's yellow sun. It almost looks like Earth. It's similar, but only 5% of the size. A better comparison would be Pluto. Grace nods and eases the sublight thrusters forward. The moon grows in the viewport as they approach, and details emerge. The surface is craggy, broken up by a thousand cliffs and valleys, and there's no ocean to speak of, just a beautiful patchwork of serpentine rivers winding down from the mountains to pool in the valleys, forming humongous lakes. Ships, large and small, coast from the surface of the moon towards the planet Dacato, a rather ugly brown and gray world dotted here and there with yellow pools. Among the ships are rockets like graces, Ladybug barges used for moving cargo, and a few beautiful galleons, solar sails gleaming golden against the dark backdrop of space. I grew up on a ship like that, says Grace, pointing at a giant galleon, done up to resemble an old pirate ship, solar sails mounted on thick masts. Peaceful looking, replies Chips. Yeah, not when my dad's the captain. You got those coordinates ready for landing? Confirmed. Waiting for your word. All right, take us in. Time to see if this is a job or a trap. You know, sensible folks don't spring traps on purpose. Sensible folks don't become eco-rangers, either. They don't, but who can resist the sales pitch, travel the galaxy, meet strange creatures who want to kill you, and protect them from other strange creatures who want to kill you? There's the esprit de corps I was looking for. The Walden lands softly in the middle of a flat green pasture. A grove of alien trees with bucket-shaped leaves sits to one side, and the short, broad-bladed grass stretches into the distance on the other. Any signs of life? Grace asks. None that I can see, but those trees are so densely packed they could be hiding any number of nasty surprises. I love surprises. Oh, like when that Dracus burned off your hair in Axola 7? Hey, it was just scared. Besides, my hair grew back. Hm, gravity hair is nearly identical to Earth's. How's the air out there? Breathable, but very oxygen-rich. Take a carbon dioxide gel, and you'll be good to go. Sure thing, Chips. I'm going to go out there and see if I can't find whoever sent the invite. Keep the Walden hot in case we need to make a quick getaway. <sighs> Same as always. Just once I'd like to make a slow getaway. Just for a change of pace. The Walden's door opens, and a ramp rolls down to the planet's surface. Grace makes her way down hands empty but hovering near her holstered stun-blaster. In the light of the sun, the words engraved on the barrel of the weapon seem to glow. They read, Killed in jest, dies in earnest, paraphrased from Thoreau, and they've helped Grace keep her calm more than once. Hello, she calls as she steps from the ramp to the mossy grass. It's Grace Green, Eco-Ranger. I received your transmission to come to these coordinates. There's no answer but the dull hum from the Walden's engines behind her. Hello! Then she hears it-the warbling song of a bluebird coming from the densely packed grove of trees. I'm going into the forest, chips. Keep an ear out for me. Strongly disagree with this decision. It's a bluebird call, like the decryption password. It's a message only I would get. Grace pushes into the trees. They're strange, with honeycombed bark and drooping bucket leaves, but inviting all the same. She pauses and hears the bluebird again, this time further into the woods, and she follows it. Deeper and deeper it leads her, moving left and right and center, but always deeper into the forest. The trees become so dense, she has to climb over limbs and squeeze between trunks. The sun filters down through the canopy of leaves and casts a greenish light over everything. Trying to climb a low-slung branch, Grace knocks against a bucket leaf and it spills water all over the ground. Where it lands, the dead leaves on the mossy ground begin to smoke and spit. Curious, Grace peers into a couple more of the bucket leaves. Inside, she sees that most of the leaves are full of water. Some even have bugs floating inside. Chips! The trees use the bucket leaves to store water and catch bugs for nutrients. I think they excrete some kind of digestive enzyme into the water, too. It seems pretty corrosive. And? It's pretty cool, that's all. You can't see it, but I'm rolling my eyes. You can't see it, but I'm writing a complaint to the Planetary Partnership about your attitude, Grace jokes. Oh, yeah? How many N's are in annoying? Is it one or two? Very funny. How about insufferable? Is that two F's? Chip starts to reply, but Grace doesn't hear it. A shadow slips out from behind a tree, and suddenly she's looking down the barrel of a blaster rifle, tipped with a razor-sharp bayonet. Easy there, Grace says, holding up her hands. I'm Grace Green. I'm with the Eco Rangers. I was called here. The creature holding the rifle glares at her. It takes Grace a moment to realize it's a human man, one covered with mud from head to toe and wearing a suit of woven branches. Grace Green? Easy to say, harder to prove. How do I know you're not one of Bakken's goons here to threaten us again? Grace is suddenly aware that in addition to the man in front of her, two other mud and tree-covered people have slipped out of the woods and stand on either side of her. One has another blaster rifle, the other has a stun baton, as she watches, he thumbs it on and it flashes to life, sparking and crackling with blue energy. Look at my shirt, the badge, she says. I was following the bluebird. The three laugh and the man touches a camo green patch on his shoulder. It emits the bluebird song again, loud and echoing through the woods. I'm the bluebird, the man says. Take off the helmet and we'll know the truth. Grace pauses. With a dracoderm suit and helmet on, she's more or less blaster-proof. Helmet off, and she could be in a world of trouble. Then again, if they wanted to hurt her, they could have done that before she ever saw them. She presses the switch by her neck that rolls her helmet back into her collar. The air is warm and fragrant on her suddenly bare face, and she shakes out her sweat-matted hair. It takes two to speak the truth, she says. One to speak, the other to listen, says the man, lowering his gun. One of Thoreau's truest quotes. And here, the face of Grace Green. Friends, lower your weapons. Help has arrived. The three lead Grace deeper into the forest. After a half a mile or so, they come upon a narrow trail, the dirt packed hard and smooth as asphalt. Careful for the burn buckets, the bluebird says as they pass under a low-hanging branch. They'll flash fry your skin if you get any of that water on you. Grace ducks carefully under the branch, the bare skin of her face tingling with the thought. They're that dangerous? These are just the young growth. On the other side of camp is the old forest. The burn buckets there can melt through metal like it's tissue paper. Strange place to make camp. Well, when you don't want to be found, it pays to have some natural defenses. I am sorry for all the secrecy, the bluebird says as they head down the trail. Bakken's been trying to scare us off this planet for a year now. If he knew exactly how to find us, I have no doubt he'd send a small army down to round us all up. Bakken. Grace knows the name. Every eco-ranger does. Bakken runs the Bakken Group, one of the largest corporations in the galaxy, and one of the most corrupt. They'd drain a whole ocean dry just to sell the salt in the water. Grace hacks and spits. That's what I think of Bakken. The feeling is mutual, I'm sure. We had another eco ranger out here about a month ago. He went to go negotiate with Bakken and never came back. Grace clenches her fists. Never came back. We operate with the authority of the Planetary Partnership. If Bakken harmed a hair on his head, You misunderstand me. The ranger is fine. He filed a report with the Planetary Partnership saying that Bakken was all clear to proceed here. He must have been turned. Either bribery or blackmail. The path grows wider. On either side, Grace can see faces watching them through the trees. They go wide-eyed with surprise as they see Grace with her Dracoderm suit and Eco-Ranger hoodie. She couldn't look more different than the watchers in their colorful linen pants and t-shirts. So what do you mean by proceed? What exactly is Bakken trying to do out here? He wants to set up a sublight pipeline to move raw minerals from Tacado to the refineries on Elanis. Elanis? It's the main planet in this system, big industrial center. They refine the minerals and ship them out all over the galaxy. It's mostly osmium, so it's serious money. A sublight pipeline, huh? And let me guess, your moon here is right in the way. Our gravity well is. They offered us land on Tacado, useless desert land that couldn't grow a weed, but they claim we can survive there. If they can get us to move, they can use their gravity cannon to knock Lotaka out of orbit, and then they'll be all set to use the cannon to launch the minerals to Elena's. Knock the moon out of orbit, but that would kill everything. Everything that lives here. The path continues to widen, and suddenly Grace finds herself in a large clearing among the trees. Above, the branches still touch, filtering out most of the sun, but also keeping the clearing hidden from eyes in the sky, The clearing itself is filled with people young and old, all living tightly packed in long wooden houses. In the center is a single towering pillar of stone, nearly reaching to the branches high above. Welcome, Grace Green. Welcome to Standing Stone, the last refuge of our people. That night, a fire is kindled next to the Standing Stone, and a strange fat animal covered in bulging knots of muscle is roasted over the flames. Bluebird has excused himself to tell the other leaders that Grace will try and negotiate with Bakken, and everyone else seems afraid of her, so Grace sits alone on a mossy log, enjoying the warmth of the fire. Across the flames, she can see two young girls in whispered argument. Finally, they approach, but slowly, like Grace would approach a wild animal. "'We brought you some Lorza!' says one, offering a steaming hunk of meat on a wooden stake. "'No, thank you,' says Grace. "'I'm a vegetarian.' "'What's that?' As the other it means i don't eat meat why not grace considers telling them about what Thoreau said about higher and poetic faculties but not everybody has the luxury of moral dietary choices instead she just smiles and shrugs i just don't care for it the answer seems to satisfy the girls and they sit down next to her on the log so you're really amazing grace the eco ranger i really am and you can really stop bakken from killing our moon we can stop him together Bakken is just a bully, and we don't give in to bullies. What if they're stronger? Maybe they're stronger than one of you, but they're never stronger than all of you together. When they wanted to destroy the oldest trees on earth, you know what the people there did? What? Tell us! They chained themselves to the trees and sang songs. They bet that the tree cutters wouldn't knock down the trees with them attached, and they were right. What did they sing? Grace smiles and tilts back her head. Come, come, the workmen gather. They come, come, with saws and gas. Come, come, some men they'd rather see a world of steel and glass. Come, come, the trees are calling. So come, come, and take their hand. Come, come, the movement's crawling. Newly born to love the land. Come, come, and stand, my people, we come, come with faith and pride. Come, come, the trees are steeple, and our church is green and wild. And our church is green and wild. I love it! Sing us another! Bluebird comes out of a nearby building and crosses to Grace's log. These girls aren't bothering you, are they? Grace puts an arm around each and gives them a little hug. These girls are wonderful. I had my suspicions. Bluebird says with a smile. Girls, is it all right with you if I borrow Grace for a bit? Fine, but you better bring her back. Yeah, we want more songs. Grace smiles and stands up. More songs tomorrow, girls, she says, and follows Bluebird back into the building. As she opens the door, she's greeted by a blast of cold air. Inside the room, nearly every inch of wall space is dedicated to computers and monitors, some showing the orbital view of the moon, others showing complex text readouts, and the largest is displaying a giant space station. The station is covered with solar panels and shaped like the barrel of a blaster, with a muzzle pointing right at the moon. "'Is that the gravity cannon?' says Bluebird. "'They call it Newton's Hammer.' Grace nods and looks around again. "'I'm sorry, but I didn't expect all this tech.' Bluebird and the other leaders in the room laugh. Thought the galaxy had left us behind out here? No, but I can see how you'd think that. We have a city, maybe not a fancy one, but we try to keep it fairly up to date. It's on the other side of the moon. When it became clear to us that the other eco-ranger had been compromised by Bakken, I gathered the leaders of our people and their families and moved us out here, where Bakken's thugs couldn't find us. As we speak, he has a company of mercenaries evacuating the city. We have maybe 2 days before they're finished and then we'll be the only people left on the moon. Maybe our continued presence will be enough to keep Bakken from pulling the trigger, but I don't know that I'm willing to bet the lives of my friends on that. Well, hopefully you won't have to. Grace turns to address everyone in the room. Bluebird and I spoke earlier. The other leaders laugh. Bluebird turns red, rubbing the back of his neck. Yeah, that name was just a joke because of the signal. My real name is Delion. Grace smiles. All right, well, whatever his name is, We spoke earlier, and I'm willing to help. I'll go up to the gravity cannon tomorrow and talk with Bakken. I don't care what the other eco-rangers said. Moving an inhabited moon is against galactic law, and I won't let him get away with it. Cheers break out in the room. Someone pulls a bottle of gargle blaster from a computer cabinet and pours everyone a drink. They all toast Grace and thank her for coming to help. She smiles, but the image on the monitor of the gravity cannon hanging in space keeps drawing her eye and when she raises her glass to toast, she can't help but notice her hands are shaking. Ready to take off, Chips? Grace asks as she secures her seatbelt webbing. She's back in the Walden, sitting at the controls with her robotic co-pilot. The morning sun slants in through the viewport and highlights swirling galaxies of dust in the stuffy cockpit. Ready, Captain. Next stop, giant death ray floating ominously in space. Grace reaches out and slaps the ignition button with a gloved hand. The Walden leaps up into the air with a bang, and for a moment, the speed pins her to her chair as the ship fights against the little moon's gravity. Just for a moment, though, and then they escape back into space, weightless and free. You know, Chips, it's not actually a laser. It's a gravity cannon. Laser, gravity cannon. I wouldn't invite either one to dinner. Wasn't your aunt a gravity cannon? Nah, she was a vending machine. A mean one. Why was she mean? People were always pushing her buttons. (sighs) Robot humor. I should have known. The gravity cannon looms huge in the viewport, stretching for miles. The solar panels are colored a deep blue, nearly black, to best absorb the sun's energy, so the cannon blends in with the inky void of space. Chips, open a comm. This is Station Newton's Hammer. Identify yourself. This is Eco-Ranger Grace Green of the Planetary Partnership. I'm approaching your station. I need to speak with Mr. Bakken. Please give me coordinates to come aboard. There is a noticeable pause. Just when Grace thinks they won't reply, they finally answer. Landing bay 2, aft section. Tight beaming you vectors now. Bring us in, chips. There's something unsettling about landing on a giant space gun. Look on the bright side. If we're in the gun, they can't shoot us with it. Gravity cannon's half-full, just like Mom used to say. Landing Bay 2, it turns out, is a fighter pilot's dream. As she exits the Walden, Grace gives an appreciative whistle. In the cavernous space, nearly two dozen sleek starfighter ships stand at the ready, crouched like waiting birds of prey. They're all in perfect condition, and though each one is wildly different than the others, it's clear they all share a single purpose—lightning-fast destruction— "'You seeing this, Chips? That's a swordfish, too. And there, that's the Jastin Mark V. have always wanted to pilot a Jastin," replies Chips from his seat in the cockpit of the Walden. "'You think Bakken would let us take it for a spin after we ruin his plans for a sublight pipeline?' "'You think Bakken would let us take it for a spin after we ruin his plans for a sublight pipeline?' "'Somehow I doubt it, buddy. Other than the brightly colored fighters, the hangar has the Spartan feel of a military vessel.' Nothing but dull gray walls, arcing bands of sterile white light, and a few dimly lit hallways leading into the belly of the ship. The only sounds are the constant whirr of the air circulation system and the dull hornet hum of the translucent lightning-blue shield that functions as the landing bay door, cunningly calibrated to let ships pass in and out while keeping the oxygen safely inside the station. From somewhere far above, an intercom crackles to life. Proceed down the green path, please. The floor begins to glow a subtle green under Grace's feet and then spreads in a straight line towards the nearest door leading out of the landing bay. Grace follows it, one hand hovering near her blaster. The green path takes her even deeper into the ship, a featureless series of grey hallways and unmarked doors. Grace sees no one else, hears no one else. It's eerie, like being on a ghost ship. Finally, the mellow green light of the path ends at a door. This door is different than the rest. For one, it's twice the size of every other, nearly a dozen feet tall and just as wide. The more striking difference, though, is that where the other doors were stark gray metal, this one is intricately carved and polished wood inlaid with golden highlights, with the crest of the Bakken group in the center, picked out in egg-sized rubies. Well, at least he's humble. As Grace raises her hand to knock, the door slides open. The room beyond is dark, vast and filled floor to ceiling with a swirling nebula of stars and planets. After a moment, Grace realizes she's looking at a simulated view of the Wahi system, Dekato and Lotaka glowing bright and towering above her. Grace walks forward through the hologram until, with a rumble, a spotlight shoots from the unending dark of the ceiling and shines down on her, so bright she can barely see. "'Ah, Miss Green,' says a voice, stately and urbane, from somewhere ahead of and above her in the darkness. So nice of you to join us. Bakken, Grace yells, the spotlight falling her as she approaches the giant glowing hologram of Delian's moon. I order you to move the station and stop threatening the people of Lotaka. By the authority of the Eco-Rangers and the Planetary Partnership, the moon must be left in peace. The edges of the room begin to glow, and Grace can see she's on the floor of a strange theater. All along the wall, arranged in ever-climbing levels, strange figures are looking down at her. She sees women and men, gorgonians and blurps, a towering remagerian, and a cluster of bright-eyed flicks. All manner of humans and aliens, dozens of them seated in their tiers along the wall, and alone, on the highest level opposite the door, sits Bakken himself. He's wearing a suit of some green reptilian skin, definitely not synthetic, and the features of his hairless head are so smooth and perfect, they look more like a digital rendering than a real man. He smiles down at her, A wide, serpent smile. There appears to be some confusion, Miss Green. Your colleague, and I believe Superior Officer, Major Enbridge, has assured me and my investors here that we are cleared to proceed. Grace glances around the room again. This time, she sees the Major sitting just to Bakken's left. What's going on here? This is a board meeting for the Bakken group. And Enbridge is on the board, is that it? Of course not, Miss Green. He is here as a consultant, nothing more. Grace turns to look at Major Enbridge. She's never met him before, but his reputation among the rangers isn't good. He's rumored to be cruel to his subordinates, conniving with his superiors and lazy in the field. So, Enbridge, he paid you off, huh? You're going to let him gravity cannon a moon full of life? Innocent life, just to make a few bucks? She spits on the boardroom floor. You're a disgrace to the eco-rangers. Enbridge starts to reply, but Bakken quiets him with a slight raise of his hand. "'I see what's happening here. There's no need for jealousy, Miss Green, especially now when we are so close to our goal. I'll bring you on as a second consultant, at a rate of, say, one million credits, and you uphold Enbridge's approval of the sublight pipeline.' "'You think you can buy me, Bakken?' I probably won't make one million credits in my entire life, but at least I'll be able to sleep at night. Your pipeline is going to destroy the moon, and for what? An extra hundred credits per barrel of osmium? Bakken steeples his hands under his chin and leans forward. Actually, the savings will be closer to an extra half credit a barrel. A half credit? You're going to destroy a moon, displace its people, and kill all the wildlife for a half a credit? It's business. And more than business, it's progress. It's people like me, like the fine members of this board, who tamed the wilds of space. It's people like us who get things done. And it's people like you who get in the way. That's enough, Bakken. You're under arrest for willful destruction on a planetary scale. Major Enbridge, you're under arrest for bribery and abdication of duty. You both need to come with me. The room erupts into laughter. Major Enbridge scowls, but Bakken allows himself a small serpent smile. Grace draws her stun blaster. It hums to life, strangely loud in the suddenly quiet room. She levels it at Bakken and pulls a length of handcuff wire from her utility belt. Both of you need to come with me. The board members break out into protests in half a hundred languages, but Bakken motions for silence and then rises to his feet. I tried to reason with you, Miss Green, but it's clear you're set on being an enemy of progress. No amount of money will sway you. Money is not required to buy what's needed for the soul. Ah, a Thoreau quote. And your ship is named the Walden. How very trite you eco-rangers become. I've always preferred the words of John D. Rockefeller myself. The way to make money is to buy when blood is running in the streets. Guards, show me Miss Green's blood. Blaster fire rips towards Grace, but she's already moving. She snaps off a shot at Bakken, but it hits an invisible energy shield and ripples into nothing. With a snarl, she throws herself backwards and rolls out the door. Chips, get the Walden out of here now! I'll meet you back at Standing Stone. Go, go, go! Negotiation's not going well, I take it? Grace snaps up her blaster and stuns two guards rounding the corner. More shots whiz from the boardroom and burn holes in the metal wall inches from her face. They could have gone better. Just get out of here. What about you? I have a plan. Just get out of the landing bay before they think to lock it down. Grace runs down the corridors, thanking the stars that they haven't turned off the green path glowing from the floor. From every direction, Grace can hear shouts and barking orders. An alarm sounds and the lights pulse in time. Grace, stop! She turns and Major Enbridge is running down the hall after her. He's wearing a suit but Grace can see the familiar shape of his Eco-Ranger Dracoderm armor underneath. The armor is good at stopping stun blasters, so Grace levels her gun at his face instead. Give me one reason not to stun you until you can't remember your own name. He holds up his hands. I can give you a million reasons, ten million reasons, whatever it takes to make you forget this ever happened. Bakken is rich beyond what you can understand. Let him build the pipeline, and you'll never have to work again. It just so happens I love my work. "'Fine. Then I'll put you through for a promotion. "'How does Major Grace Screen sound? "'How about a new ship, a big one, and a full crew under your command? "'I can make that happen. "'When?' "'Tomorrow. "'I just have to send a tight beam to the rangers' headquarters and—' "'No. "'I meant when did you decide to betray everything the rangers stand for? "'You short-sighted fool. "'I'll have you dishonorably discharged. "'You'll never work for the rangers again. "'You are fired!' "'Well, one of us is,' Grace says, and she squeezes the trigger.' The blast is blinding in the tight hallway, and it hits Major Enbridge like a punch, sending him flying backwards, his head knocking hollowly against the metal wall. He sinks to the floor in a crumpled heap, stunned, a thin line of drool running down his twitching cheek. "'She's over here!' shouts a guard, and more blaster fire rips down the hall. One blast catches Grace under the ribs and makes her stagger, but she stays on her feet and takes off running. From her utility belt, she pulls a small ball the size of a marble and squeezes it hard. The two halves spring apart, revealing a throbbing blue light in the center. She throws it over her shoulder as she runs and starts to count. One, breathing raggedly, blaster fire coming so close she smells her own suit burning. Two, rounding a corner and nearly colliding with a sneering guard. Her stun blaster wipes the grin off his face. Three, she's back at the landing bay and slips through the door just in time. Her microsonic grenade blows behind her, and she can feel the shockwaves vibrating up through her feet. She sees the guards tumble to the ground, dazed and twitching. She closes the landing bay door and blasts the controls, sealing it shut. All right, Gracie baby, so far, so good. Chips and the Walden are gone, and good thing too, because the landing bay emergency doors drop with a series of menacing clangs, sealing the room tight with a thick wall of blaster-proof alloy. Grace knows she has bare minutes before the guards recover from the grenade and bust through the door. En route back to Standing Stone, Chip says over the comms. I'm clear, but sensors are showing the blast doors are down and the exterior defenses are up all over the station. Now would be a great time for that plan you mentioned. Grace crosses the landing bay to the Justin starfighter they had admired earlier. It's colored a new snow white and looks fast just sitting there. Even better, its star-shaped wings drip with weapons of all kinds. She lays a hand on the hall and the cockpit slides open, revealing a pitch black seat and a bank of blinking controls. Like Thoreau said, compensation in every disappointment. She swings into the fighter and belts herself in. The cockpit closes smoothly overhead and the viewport flares to life. Do you need me to come back for you? I'm on my way, chips. Don't be too jealous. Jealous of what? Grace takes hold of the turret controls and squeezes the trigger. A burst of machine gun fire thunders out from the Jastin and eats into the landing bay doors. The metal smokes and pops, but holds strong. Out of the corner of her eye, Grace sees the guards tumble into the room. Their mouths open agape in horror as they watch the bullets streak across the floor. Time for the big guns, I guess. Don't have too much fun without me. No promises. She flips up a safety panel and presses the glowing red button marked Thermic Lance. A roaring line of green-blue fire erupts from the belly of her starfighter and splashes into the landing bay door. For a moment, it looks like nothing is happening, and then the door begins to glow cherry red. The guards shield their faces from the terrible heat and flee back into the hallway. Come on, come on! With a great wet-ripping pop, a 30-foot section of the blast door melts to slag and boils away into space. Grace grabs the accelerator and slams it forward. The Jastin starfighter responds in a nanosecond, spiraling out of the molten hole and into space like a shooting star. Did you steal the Jastin? Chip says, shocked. Yep. Your father would be so proud. I don't know that he has to hear about this. Watch your six, Captain! The blast doors open behind her, and the other starfighters swarm out of Newton's cannon like a mass of angry clobbleband bloodlocks. Blaster cannons and missiles streak from their bellies and wind their way through space in pursuit of Grace and the Jastin. She slams the button marked Chafe, and a glittering galaxy of hot metallic ribbons shoots out of the back of her ship. The missile veer towards the ribbon and detonate with flashes of light like fireworks. Grace whips the controls and pulls a turn so tight it clicks her teeth together, and suddenly she's flying straight at the enemy's starfighters. Chips, you got a read on these guys? They manned or drones? One moment. They're remotely piloted drones, no lifeforms on board, probably being controlled from back on the station. Good, says Grace, and she turns on the weapon system. Piloting the ship and weaving bobbing waves to avoid the lasers boiling past her, she fires everything she has. Missiles and colorful streaks of light zip across the blackness of space and collide with the other fighters, blowing them into twinkling shards of metal and silicate glass. Got him! Captain, the gravity cannon! Grace wrenches the controls, but it's too late. The giant gravity cannon of the station fires with an invisible concussion wave, and all she can do is slam the throttle to full speed and try to outrun it. Grace! Grace! The Justin starts to shake and whine as the edge of the blast crashes over it. The engine dies with a sizzling explosion, and Grace is powerless, caught in the ocean-like wave of the gravity cannon, washing her faster and faster towards the moon Lotaka. Chips, it's got me! I'm going down! Grace hammers the eject button, and it spits sparks at her, stinging her face and filling the cabin with a sweet stench of burning hair. The ship lurches, and her belly flips as she enters the gravity well of the moon. She's falling now, powerless, and like a meteor, she rips through the atmosphere, and she's moving so fast the ship catches fire around her, and her world is smoke and flames and the sickening weight of her gut. Chips! <clears throat> Going down! <clears throat> Grace, this is Deleon. Fight it! You hear me? You gotta fight it. Talion? You're not dying on my mission, Captain. You hear me? Chip says your suit is equipped for freefall, so you get out of that fighter now! Too much smoke! (laughs) She fumbles at the seals of the cockpit, but they hold tight. It's impossible to see, and getting harder and harder to breathe. Come on! There's no way a goon like Bakken takes out Amazing Grace Green. You can't let him win, Grace! Get out of that ship! The world is spinning and smoking, but Grace still has her blaster. She draws it now and aims at the seals holding the cockpit in place. (coughs) All good things are wild and free. She fires, and in the close quarters it flash burns her hand and fills her eyes with white, but the cockpit blows open, and suddenly there's fresh air again. Not much, but a little. Enough for Grace to draw a breath and undo the safety belt. The ground is below her, swelling larger and larger, flames licking at the nose of her ship, not much time before the crash. Wild and free. With the last bit of strength in her body, she leaps up and is assisted by the small jump jets in her boots. As soon as she's clear of the seat, the speed sucks her out of the starfighter. It tumbles away from her, and suddenly she's alone, falling through the cool air, hurtling towards the surface of the moon. As she starts to pass out, Grace presses a tiny button inside the collar of her suit. With a whoosh, it inflates and blossoms like a rose, its petals catching the air and slowing her like a parachute. Far below, the Jaston starfighter slams into the moon and bursts into an inferno of blue-green flame. But Grace is safe. Like a wayward leaf, she bobs and floats towards the ground, wild and free. TO BE CONTINUED Today's story, Part 1 of Amazing Grace, Machine of Government, is an original work written by Daniel Hines and performed by me, Kelsey Lee, with songs by us both. If you would like to support the show, please head to our iTunes page and leave us a review. If you would like to get advanced access to exclusive content and receive a thank you in a future episode, please visit patreon.com stories and make a pledge. Then send an email to amanda at storiespodcast.com and tell us who we should thank. Thanks for listening.